There's a story in Genesis about Noah and his sons. Noah plants a vineyard and decides to drink some of the wine he produced. Unfortunately for Noah, he has a little too much wine and winds up sleeping in his tent. And it turns out he's also not wearing any clothes. Now, one of his sons, Ham, comes into the tent and sees his father. And instead of covering him, he goes out and tells his two brothers. And his two brothers go into the tent backwards, not looking at Noah, looking away, and they they cover their father. When Noah wakes up and finds out what happens, he curses Ham's son, Canaan, for Ham's indiscretion. And I'm not quite sure what that indiscretion is. The story mirrors something of another creation story where we have another almost original sin. But I'm not quite sure what it is. I'm not sure if it's failing to cover up his father or going out to tell his brothers or even just looking at his father. Nonetheless, Noah curses his son Canaan. Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves he shall be to his brothers. This story is not so much an eyewitness account as it is a scriptural story to explain why the Canaanites turned out the way they did. They were Gentiles. They had worship with indecent sexual-type practices. They were not liked at all by the Israelites. The Israelite nation detested them and would eventually conquer Canaan and even enslave them in establishing the promised land on what was once the land of Canaan. I say this to bring a little more light that traditionally speaking, to be a Canaanite is not a good thing. It's more than being an outsider or a foreigner in the sense that we understand it. Rather, it is a people believed to be cursed from the beginning. To be a Canaanite is to be utterly beyond the pale. Fast forward to the gospel. We are at a time when the people of Israel who have returned from exile continue to understand themselves as God's chosen people. And because of the promises given to them by God, they are trying to reestablish God's kingdom and reestablish this promised land that they would be the ones through whom God would work and establish dominion over the world once and for all. This is why Jesus comes to them. Jesus is not sent to Jew and Gentile as a faith healer, casting out demons and healing everyone in his path. He's on a specific mission to get his people, his nation, back on track as a people through whom all the world will reflect faithful living. The idea is that Jesus will rescue Israel and then Israel will spill over into the rest of creation and God's creation will be restored. This is what we see throughout 
the gospel according to Matthew. Jesus is fulfilling the law. And in doing so, he's helping the people of Israel fulfill its call as a people, reminding them what faithful living looks like, what grace and mercy look like, and that God desires grace and mercy for all. As noted by the prophet Isaiah, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. God's grace is greater than anyone imagines. Yet despite all that Jesus teaches, the disciples run into a problem. They come across a Canaanite woman. This is someone who is absolutely beyond the pale. What's more, she's yelling at them to the point that they ask Jesus to send her away. Jesus, on the other hand, engages in a dialogue with this woman, this Gentile, this Canaanite. And now, many people who look at this start to speculate about the conversation they're having and think that this woman might have turned over his prejudice and his sexism and racism and helped Jesus realized that his mission was to the Gentiles as well as the Jews, as if somehow Jesus missed the memo in Isaiah that all are invited to participate in God's kingdom and that God casts out no one who is faithful. What's far more likely is that Jesus was clearly stating in this dialogue his mission, which is to put Israel back on track so that God's people can get on with the business of helping God reconcile the world to God's self. The beauty of this passage is that the woman, this outsider, recognizes Jesus calling him Lord, son of David, even though she is not one of his people. She also recognizes the order in which things will work, saying, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She understands the mission that the food comes from the master to the master's children, yet continues out to the rest of the world, her world. She sees the future in which God's grace spills out from Israel to the rest of the world, bringing healing beyond Israel throughout all of creation. She sees how things are supposed to play out and demands this future for her, for her daughter, now. Jesus, knowing the future, knowing that this woman sees it and has faith in it, rewards that faith with grace and healing. No one is beyond the pale for Jesus. Even those who come from a line considered cursed, there are no outsiders for those who turn to Jesus. Human condition and status do not matter. Faithful living does. All are welcome. This is important to remember. There are no outsiders among those who turn to Jesus. Who here at one time or another has not felt like an outsider? We know what it feels like. On a smaller level, it is something like being at a new job or moving from home into a new area, a place that is completely new after you've been somewhere for a long time, no sense of familiarity, or even being 
the lone Democrat in a room full of Republicans, or flip that, being the lone Republican in a room full of clergy. <laughs> On a deeper level, being an outsider manifests itself in many ways. We experience it as a rift in the family, an illness, a loss of a loved one, struggle with sexual orientation, struggle with identity, struggle with vocational purpose. For others, it's marital problems or grave sin that was committed or even a crisis of faith. All things that make us feel isolated or alone with no one who will understand. We've all been there. We've all been outcasts. Yet when we find ourselves as outcasts, this is the place to be. All are welcomed. There are none, none who are beyond the pale. No matter how out of sorts, that we might feel we are not alone, not in this community, not under the care of our Lord. I cannot quantify it. I cannot measure it scientifically. But I've seen it. All kinds of healing happens here each week. Week in and week out, the future containing God's mercy breaks into our present, and we come here for that healing and renewal. We are also called to bring this healing to others, to continue the process of spilling out this grace and mercy into the world. I wonder then, who are we missing? There are other outcasts out there who believe themselves to be beyond the pale. What can we do to help them find this place of welcome and healing? Jesus, who responds to our needs and calls us, calls us each week, continues to call us to share with others, reminding us always, in word and sacrament, that all are welcome.